Book 2, Sections 5-7 through seven of Against Appian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Tabus. Against Appian by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 2, Sections 5-7 through seven. Now this Appian was unacquainted with almost all the kings of those Macedonians whom he pretends to have been his progenitors, who are yet very well affected toward us. For a third of those Ptolemies, who was called Eurgates, when he had gotten possession of all Syria by force, did not offer his thank-offerings to the Egyptian gods for his victory, but came to Jerusalem, and according to our own laws offered many sacrifices to God and dedicated to him such gifts as were suitable to such a victory. And as for Ptolemy Philometer and his wife Cleopatra, they committed their whole kingdom to the Jews, when Onius and Dosithus, both Jews whose names are laughed at by Appian, were generals of their whole army. But certainly, instead of reproaching them, he ought to admire their actions and return them thanks for saving Alexandria, whose citizen he pretends to be, for when these Alexandrians were making war with Cleopatra the queen, they were in danger of being utterly ruined. These Jews brought them to terms of agreement, and freed them from the miseries of a civil war. But then, says Appian, Onias brought a small army afterward upon the city at the time when Thorens, the Roman ambassador, was there present. Yes, I do venture to say that he did rightly and very justly in so doing, for that Ptolemy, who was called Physco, upon the death of his brother Philometer, came from Cyrene, and would have ejected Cleopatra as well as her sons out of their kingdom, that he might obtain it for himself unjustly. For this cause, then, it was that Onias undertook a war against him on Cleopatra's account, nor would he desert that trust the royal family had reposed in him in their distress. Accordingly, God gave a remarkable attestation to his righteous procedure, for when Ptolemy Physico had the presumption to fight against Onias's army, and had caught all the Jews that were in the city, Alexandria, with their children and wives, and exposed them naked and in bonds to his elephants, that that might be trotted upon and destroyed, that when he had made those elephants drunk for that purpose, the event proved contrary to his preparations, for these elephants left the Jews who were exposed to them and fell violently upon Fisco's friends and slew a great number of them. Nay, after this, Ptolemy saw a terrible ghost which prohibited his hurting these men. His very concubine, whom he loved so well, some call her Ithaca, others Irene, making supplication to him that he would not perpetuate so great a wickedness. So he complied with her request, and repented of what he earlier had already done, or was about to do. Whence it is well known that the Alexandrian Jews do with good reason celebrate this day, on the account that they had thereon been vouchsafed such an evident deliverance from God. However, Appian, the most common calumniator of men, hath the presumption to accuse the Jews for making this war against Fisco, when he ought to have commended them for the same. 
This man also makes mention of Cleopatra, the last queen of Alexandria, and abuses us because she was ungrateful to us. Whereas he ought to have reproved her, who indulged herself in all kinds of injustice and wicked practices, both with regard to her nearest relations and husbands who had loved her, and indeed in general, and with regard to all Romans, as those emperors that were her benefactors, who also had her sister Arsinoe slain in a temple, when she had done her no harm. Moreover, she had her brother slain by private treachery, and she destroyed the gods of her country and the sepulchres of her progenitors. And while she had received her kingdom from the first Caesar, she had the impudence to rebel against his son and successor, nay, she corrupted Antony with, with her love tricks, and rendered him an enemy to his country, and made him treacherous to his friends, and by his means despoiled some of their royal authority, and forced others of her madness to act wickedly. But what need I enlarge upon this head any further? When she left Antony in his fight at the sea, though he were her husband and the father of their common children, and compelled him to resign up his government with the army, and follow her into Egypt? Nay, when the last of all Caesar had taken Alexandria, she came to that pitch of cruelty that she declared she had some hope of persevering her affairs still, in case she could kill the Jews, though it were with her own hand. To such a degree of barbarity and perfidiousness had she arrived. And doth any one think that we cannot boast ourselves of any thing? As if Appian says this queen did not at a time of famine distribute wheat among us? However, she at length met with the punishment she deserved. As for us Jews, we appealed to the great Caesar what assistance we brought him, and what fidelity we showed to him against the Egyptians as also to the Senate, and its decrees, and the epistles of Augustus Caesar, whereby our merits to the Romans are justified. Appian ought to have looked upon these epistles, and in particular to have examined the testimonies given on our behalf, under Alexander and all the Ptolemies, and the decrees of the Senate, and the greatest Roman emperors. And if Germanicus was not able to make a distribution of corn to all the inhabitants of Alexandria, that only shows what a barren time it was, and how great a want there was then of corn, but tends nothing to the accusation of the Jews. For what all the emperors have thought of the Alexandrian Jews is well known, for this distribution of wheat was no otherwise omitted with regard to the Jews than it was with regard to other inhabitants of Alexandria but they were still desirous to preserve what the kings had formerly entrusted to their care, I mean the custody of the river. Nor did those kings think them unworthy of having the entire custody thereof, upon all occasions. But besides this, Appian objects to us thus. If the Jews, says he, be citizens of Alexandria, why do they not worship the same gods with the Alexandrians? To which I give this answer, since you are yourselves Egyptians, why do you fight it out one against another and have implacable wars about your religion? At this rate, we must not call you all Egyptians, nor indeed, in general, men, because you breed up with one great care of beasts of a nature quite contrary to that of men, although the nature of all men seems to be one and the same. 
Now, if there be such differences in opinion among you Egyptians, why are you surprised that those who came to Alexandria from another country, and had their original laws of their own before, should persevere in the observance of those laws? But still he charges us with being the authors of sedition, which accusation, if it be a just one, why is it not laid against us all, since we are all known to be of one mind? Moreover, those that search into such matters will soon discover that the authors of sedition have been such citizens of Alexandria as Appian is. For while they were the Grecians and the Macedonians who were ill possession of this city, there was no sedition raised against us, and we were permitted to observe our ancient solemnities. But when the number of Egyptians therein came to be considerable, the times grew confused, and then these seditions break out still more and more while our people continued uncorrupted. These Egyptians, therefore, were the authors of these troubles, who, having not the constancy of Macedonians, nor the prudence of Grecians, indulged all of them the evil manners of the Egyptians, and continued their ancient hatred against us. For what is here so presumptuously charged against us is owing to the differences that are amongst themselves. While many of them have not obtained the privileges of citizens in proper times, but style those who are well known to have had those privileges extended to them all, no other than foreigners. For it does not appear that any of the kings have formally bestowed those privileges of citizens upon Egyptians, no more than have the emperors have done it more lately. While it was Alexander who introduced us into this city first, the kings augmented our privileges therein, and the Romans have been pleased to preserve them always inviolable. Moreover, Appian would lay a blot upon us, because we do not erect images for our emperors, as if those emperors did not know this before, or stood in need of Appian as their defender, whereas he ought rather to have admired the magnanimity and modesty of the Romans, whereby they do not compel those that are subject to them to transgress the laws of their countries, but are willing to receive the honors due them after such a manner as those who are to pay them esteem consistent with piety and with their own laws. For they do not thank people for conferring honors upon them when they are compelled by violence to do so. Accordingly, since the Grecians and some other nations think it a right thing to make images, nay, when they have painted the pictures of their parents and wives and children, they exult for joy. And are there some there who would take pictures of themselves of such persons as were they were no way uh, related to them? Nay, some take the pictures of such servants as they were fond of. What wonder is it, then, if such of these appear willing to pay the same respect to their princes and lords. But then our legislator hath forbidden us to make such images, not by way of denunciation beforehand, that the Roman authority was not to be honored, but as despising a thing that was neither necessary nor useful for either God or man. And he forbade them, as we shall prove hereafter, to make these images for any part of the animal creation, and much less for God himself, who is no part of such animal creation. Yet hath our legislator nowhere forbidden us to pay honors 
to worthy men, provided they be of another kind, and inferior to those we pay to God, with which honors we willingly testify our respect to our emperors and to the people of Rome. We also offer perpetual sacrifices for them, nor do we only offer them every day at the common expenses of all the Jews, but although we offer no other such sacrifices out of our common expenses, no, not for our own children, yet do we this as a peculiar honor to the emperors and to them alone, while we do the same to no other person whomsoever. Let this suffice for an answer in general to Appian as to what he says with relation to the Alexandrian Jews. However, I cannot but admire those other authors who furnish this man with such his materials, I mean Posidonius and Apollinus, the son of Molo, who, while they accuse us for not worshipping the same gods whom others worship, they think themselves not guilty of impiety when they tell lies of us and frame absurd and reproachful stories about our temple. Whereas it is a most, most shameful thing for free men to forge lies on any occasion, and much more so to forge them about our temple, which was so famous all over the world, and was preserved so sacred by us. For Appian hath the impudence to pretend that the Jews placed an ass's head in their holy place, and he affirms that this was discovered when Antiochus Epiphanes spoiled our temple, and found that ass's head there made of gold and worth a great deal of money. To this my first answer shall be this, that had there been any such thing among us, an Egyptian ought to by no means have thrown it in our teeth, since an ass is not a more contemptible animal than goats and other such creatures, which among them are gods. But besides this answer, I say further, how comes it about that Appian does not understand this to be no other than a palpable lie, and to be confuted by the thing itself as utterly incredible? For we Jews are always governed by the same laws in which we constantly persevere. And although many misfortunes have befallen our city, and the like have befallen others, and although Theus, Epiphanes, and Pompey the Great, and Licinius Crassus, the last of all Titus Caesar, have conquered us in war, and gotten possession of our temple, yet have they none of them found any such thing there, nor indeed anything that was but agreeable to the strictest piety, although what they found we are not at liberty to reveal to other nations. But for Antiochus Epiphanes, he had no just cause for that ravage in our temple that he made. He only came to it when he wanted money, without declaring himself our enemy, and attacked us while we were his associates and his friends, nor did he find anything there that was ridiculous. This is attested by many worthy writers, Polybius of Megalopolis, Strabo of Cappadocia, Nicholas of Damascus, Tomagenes, Castor the Carnotiger, and Apollodorus, who all say that it was out of Antiochus's want of money that he broke his league with the Jews, and despoiled their temple when it was full of gold and silver. Appian ought to have had a regard to these facts, unless he had himself either 
an acid's heart or a dog's impudence. Of such a dog I mean as that they worship, for he had no other external reason for the lies he tells us. As for us Jews, we ascribe no honor or power to asses, as do the Egyptians to crocodiles and asps. When they esteemed that such are as seized upon by the former or bitten by the latter, to be happy persons, and persons worthy of God, asses are the same with us, whether they be with other wise men, these creatures that bear the burdens that we lay upon them. But if they come to our thrashing floors and eat our corn, or do not perform what we impose upon them, we beat them with a great many stripes, because it is their business to minister to us in our husbandry affairs. But this Appian of ours was either perfectly unskillful in the composition of such fallacious discourses, or, however, when he began somewhat better, he was not able to persevere in what he had undertaken, since he hath no manner of success in those reproaches he casts upon us. End of sections 5 through 7. Recording by Rick Tabus.